Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there, my wise friends and dear listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Collective Wisdom, where today we're diving into the fascinating world of human design. Have you ever wondered what makes you uniquely you? How your individual traits and tendencies can shape your life's journey? Well, if you have, and I know I have, today you're in for a treat because we have a remarkable guest who's here to shed light on just those questions. Michaela Gaffinstone is a seasoned expert in the realm of human design, a system that offers profound insights into our authentic selves, our potential and our purpose. And she's here to guide us through this intriguing approach to self-discovery and personal transformation. Throughout our conversation, Michaela will unravel the mysteries of human design, sharing how it can illuminate your unique gifts, talents, and the path that aligns with your true self. So whether you're new to this concept or already well-versed, her wisdom will undoubtedly inspire you to explore the depths of your own design. Michaela's here to help us unlock the secrets of human design and reveal the incredible potential within each of us. I'm so happy to be welcoming back today human behavior and relationship specialist, Michaela Gaffin-Stone. You may remember her brilliant episode from season nine on how to be the best parent you can be. But today I've asked Michaela to join me as a specialist in human design, which is a fascinating system that offers profound insights into our authentic selves, our potential and our purpose. So she's here today to guide us through this intriguing approach to self-discovery and personal transformation. So Michaela, thank you for coming back to the podcast. You're one of only two guests who've actually been back to, to, to say more, but I've always sensed with you, you've got so much to offer in that space of knowing what makes humans tick. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I am absolutely honored to be here and I am thrilled to be able to talk about human design. It's something I love and it's something that I think people misunderstand uh, very easily because, you know, the title human design itself sets a lot of people off, you know, like, what are you doing? Designing people, um, you know, and, and no, no, if, if I was, there'd be some different people around, but you know, yes. <laughs> But human design is fascinating. It's worth the journey. So tell me a bit about it. Well, how did you first encounter it? Because it's a, it's a relatively new concept. It's been around since the late 80s. Right. So it, it is new, yes. But all the parts to it are ancient. It's just the combination is new. So how I came across it, funnily enough, I was as sceptical as anybody listening to this could possibly be. And I was working with someone on my website, and this was a couple of iterations ago. And um, we were sort of having some sticky moments. You know, it, was, it wasn't it was going smoothly. It was chunking. And one day she said to me, you know, have you looked at human design? And I'd seen it around, but I had a lot of 
skepticism about it because, you know, I have a science background and I'm looking at this thing, like I just figured it was a place to throw money. Why would you look at it? And so I'm sort of now looking at this woman who I respect and I know she's she's smart, she's intelligent, so on and so forth. So I kind of paused and said, um, I haven't really looked at it. Why would I? And she said, I just need you to get your chart done. Can you do that for me? And I was like, um, okay, I guess. You know, I was still very, you know, not sure about this. She gave me a place to go and I got my chart done and I gave it to her the next time we met. And then being a behaviorist, I'm watching to see what she's doing with this. You know, I'm looking for the facial responses and so on. And what I saw fascinated me. And then there was that aha moment that she had. And she said, oh, I get it now. Now I know why we're not working well together. Here, let's do a few things differently. And she tweaked a few things. It was more the pace and the presentation of how we were doing things rather than the substantial content. We tweaked a few things and I found that, oh, that's weird, but it's working really well. Why is that? And then I dove into human design. I, I basically wanted to know more about how she knew to do that so easily and it works so beautifully. Yeah. And I, you know, so I wanted to know more and I dove in and I've not come out yet. That is, yeah. I mean, I, I love that that actually is what, what brought you to it is I think when you when you see something that is so accurately portraying the traits that you you feel are reflected in yourself. I mean, that that's certainly been my interest in it because my only sort of experience of it so far is to just download a chart, you know, generate mm. my chart. And yet, even in terms of the gifts that it talks about, they really resonate as being, oh, wow. And I'm somebody who has done a lot of self-exploring and, and you know, personal the personal development world is one that fascinates me so i've done a lot of these sort of like enneagrams and um you know different personality tests everything from myers briggs i really love that idea of creating self awareness is part of the journey of making sort of positive changes that can really transform your relationships in life and this th that's exactly how i felt about it it was like oh, this is actually really accurate. So that's why I was so excited to talk to you about it. Yeah, and one of the things that I think people don't realise, I, I, in fact, I'm aware of it, having spoken to some recently who didn't get this, this is not subjective. It's not a case of, like, I've done Enneagram, and I'm one of those people who, it depends on the day as to how I answer the question. Mm -hmm. And so I get different numbers, believe it or not. And it doesn't really land properly for me. Um, but I've also gone through, you know, the strengths finders, the yeah. Briggs, all those things, because they're interesting and humans love to know more about themselves. That's that's normal and natural. But with this one, this is immovable data that you put in there and it generates your chart. So what you get is your blueprint. This is actually the manual for you that you didn't think existed. It does. It's human design. And when you have someone that can look at it and tell you and interpret it. And it, it doesn't take, you know, mystical interpretation. It's just putting the pieces together. Mm. That's the interpretation part. And when you get somebody that can do that for you, all sorts of things that didn't make sense to you before now do. And one of the most common responses I get 
when I'm doing readings with people is at some point they will say, no way, that's a gift. I've always been told that was wrong about me. And I have one woman in her 70s burst into tears and tell me that the thing I was telling her was her gift. She'd been made wrong for her entire life. And the tears were a mix of sadness for, for that and anger that she'd lost so many years trying to suppress this part of her when actually this is where she shines. Yeah. And I find that so common with people that the thing they were told as kids, they were too much of, or that they shouldn't do, or, you know, this is wrong about you in some way. That's probably the gift that I'm going to tell you, you have. Yeah. And then what, what's your advice for people? So when you start to understand what those gifts are, do you, uh, you know, is it usually a reaction of, so now you need to change careers or is it really just more about how you can adapt your life in small ways and put more of that gift, that essence of yourself into your life? Anything is on the table. So here's the thing. If you are in a career or, or just a job, you know, something to make ends meet and you hate it, you hate Mondays, Sundays are the worst day because Monday's coming, you know, you have that kind of response to it, then what we do is we can look at, can you change the way you show up? Can you change something about how you're doing what you're doing? And if that's not feasible for some reason, or it's not enough, then yeah, maybe you do need to change what you're doing. That's, but baby steps first, because here's a scientist in me. I love for people to take the information I give them. In fact, I require this of people. You take the information I give you and then you test it and you test it and you test it. So when I tell you how your decisions are made most authentically for you, how you know you're making the correct decision, I want you to go play with that. You have to test it. I don't want anybody taking my word for it because that doesn't get you any further ahead. You need to know by experiencing it that this thing works. And that's where you get the benefit. You know, it's no point in listening to me. I could be talking out of my ear. How do you know? You know? And that's so, that resonates so much. I mean, I'm going to refer back to, you know, uh, your last episode, which was much more focused on on parenting. And that again was the same thing. It was, I'm going to give you some strategies, especially yep. if you're working with children, maybe with special needs or learning difficulties, but I'm not going to say to you, this will work. I'm going to give you a whole range of tools in your toolkit, and then you can go and explore what works best for you, what fits into your family dynamic, how this right. is. Yeah. Gonna- yeah. Cause I, c- I can figure out what I, believe it's going to work best for you, but I don't know until you do it because, you know, a lot of the evidence is in how you do the thing. So I could be picturing it one way and you do it something differently. Let's see how that lands. And is it something your family's comfortable with doing Mm -hmm. when it comes to human design? How is this working for you? Do you, do you recognize the things I'm telling you? And if you don't, let's have another conversation. Does it mean all is lost, this doesn't work. I haven't yet had somebody come back and tell me it's it's not landed for them, I have to say, but I'm prepared for it. If that day comes, I'm ready. You know, I'm here for it, so. But I think it's so, it's it's kind of all encompassing. So, I mean, if we start with, so that the, there's like five different energy types, that's primarily, it's it's about, you know, the energy that you were born with and really trying to live into that as opposed to trying to 
mold yourself to what society expects. Oh, 100 percent. And this is this actually works fabulously for parenting, too, funnily enough, because when you know how your child's energy works, you know what is them being obstinate or, you know, just not doing what you're asking them to do and what's them being who they are and how you react to that based on your energy type. But an example I'd like to use is manifestors. Now, that's 8% of the world's population, but it's a very potent 8%. Mm -hmm. They are the people who are here to create new things, to innovate. What comes with that is an energy that is impatient and fast. So in a child, that looks like an uncontrollable child who's running from one thing to the next. They don't finish anything, quick-tempered, you know, they're all over the place. And these days, people are very quick to say, oh, that kid has ADHD. Well, whoa, 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 let's hold the phone a moment. You know, do they? Or is it something environmental that's happening? And let's just have a look at the energy type and see how they're showing up. Because if you understand your child's a manifester, that puts a very different perspective on how you're going to handle that child. Mm -hmm. And manifestors as children typically get squashed by their parents and by society because the energy is so big and so fast that the only way to control that child is to pretty much sit on them, right? Right. And and sometimes for safety, a parent is, is going to try and hem them in. But that anger that is natural to a, a manifester. That is their not self there when they're out of alignment. Anger is what shows up for them. They turn that inward. And later in life, that looks like self-sabotage. And, wow. you know, I'll just beat myself up so you don't have to kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so knowing your energy type, that can make such a difference for manifestors because they have so much to do and they have a lot of power, but they tend to forget to tell people, oh, I'm I'm going over here now, I'm going to do this thing. Um, humans don't do well with a void, with a gap in information. So we always fill it and we will invariably fill it with something negative because that's our default setting. It's a sort of survival setting, look for the negative. So your manifestors just run out the door to go do something. They've just had this brilliant idea and the person left behind with no information feels abandoned, ignored, you know, da-da-da, and they end up having a very choppy relationship. Right. It's easy to fix, very easy to fix once you know what you're working with. So that's one example out of five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from a personal point of view, because I'm a generator, I'd love to know more about, because I think that's that's the majority of people are generators. 70% of the world's population are either a pure generator, which you are, or a manifesting generator, which is a hybrid between the manifestor I just mentioned and the generator. So for you, you're an emotional generator, meaning you have um, your decision-making needs to go through a process. It's not a quick decision for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's look at the decision-making first. The solar plexus, when you look on your chart, it's on the far right and it's a sort of triangle pointing in to toward the torso. And that's your solar plexus. Now, what that does, it's an emotional wave. And just like a wave in the ocean, it's never still. It's always just rolling. So you can have times and think about what this 
already resonates with you. You can have times where you look at something and you say, oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, let's go. Woo. And, and you're just on. And you could look at that same thing a couple of days later and be, nah, I'm, I'm no, no, I'm not feeling that. Well, that's all your emotional wave. When you look at something at a high point, you're going to be all yes, even if it's a no. When you look at it at a low point, you're going to be all no, even if it's a yes. So the trick is to wait out that wave and to really give time to that decision. We're talking important decisions, like not what's for dinner. So, you know, that's a difficult decision, though. (laughs) Right. And I have an answer for that, too. But (laughs) for this particular part, this is like if you're looking at a new job, for example, Mm -hmm. wait out that wave. And it can be a few days. It can be longer. It depends on other factors in your chart. But hold the phone, you know, just hang on for a minute. And because you're a generator, you have a sacral response. And that means you will feel so excited about something when it's a yes, that you're bubbling, you know, probably bouncing on your chair and like, I can't wait to do this. You know, very excited. And when it's a no, you're body is trying to leave the room. You're like, mm, no, you know, it's almost a skin crawling kind of thing, but your gut is kind of condensing and saying, yeah, no, I'm really not okay with this. There is no maybe. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. But yeah. we so often ride over those feelings that I've just described to you because we're taught from children, use your head, think about it. Mm. Is that a logical decision? It doesn't matter. Those aren't where you make your decisions. Your body is telling you what your decision is. Can you hear it? But I mean, have you experienced where you've been a yes for something and then two days later or the next day it's a no? Yeah. And I think it's a temptation to to feel into shoulds. There's things that I feel obliged to do. And I mm. have better at, over time listening to, yeah, Am I am I doing this because of a sense of duty or obligation as opposed to something I really am going to be able to invest in properly? Because if I if I embark on something where there's too much of an obligation, I don't actually do a very good job, you know, and the resentment starts to build up. And so it becomes right. a burden. And I think it's those commitments that you I'm now much more aware of not getting myself too embroiled in. So here's the thing for generators. So 70% of you that are listening are going to be, you know, this is for you. The thing with generators is the thing you have to learn the most, the life lesson is patience. And the part that's most difficult is generators overcommit. There's that space between something finishing and another thing starting is almost painful for a generator. It's like, no, I I really, what am I doing? I have to be doing something. And so you start to say yes to a whole bunch of things without taking the time to really, you know, is this a yes? Or am I just jumping for the sake of filling the gap? And that is something common to every generator I've ever spoken to. It's this compulsion to be doing because generators are, they're the group that have, their own energy generated. The sacral center generates energy that lifts the world up, funnily enough. So now that might sound like a bit of a bizarre statement, but when you're in company with a generator, if that person is having a great day and they're on, everybody in the environment is as well. Because 
if they don't have that center defined, they're borrowing energy. We do this where where our centers are not defined, we'll borrow from the person next to us who does have it. And so this is also how sometimes a person can be different in certain company. And and you well, that's not like them. Well, actually, yes, it is. It's it's them in company with that person because different things are completed in different ways. It's a very interesting shift. And that would be a an episode on its own to go into that because this is all about relationships now. And it gets very, it's it's like a dance. It's like a very intricate dance that we do with each other. And fascinating because when you know what you've got, you know how to use it. For example, if you don't have the center of willpower and competition and somebody else does, you can be more of that than they are while you're in company with them. So good to work on projects with them around, but know that when they've left, when they go home for the day or whatever, your energy goes with it. Like that part of you is no longer accessible. You're you're not going to have that willpower. So don't plan to do the project on your own. Have them with you. Yeah, yeah. And, And then you'll rock and roll and it'll be great. But just know that you're borrowing it. It's not yours. And so this is fascinating because a lot of what this human design seems to be good at helping you do is understand how you work in relation to other people. Whether yes. it's family dynamic or a work dynamic, it's yeah. really understanding. So are there sort of winning combinations? How, how, would you, how would you sort of interpret that? Well, for yourself, there are themes. As I go through the chart, themes start to appear. For example, I had a look at yours and what I saw was community, interpreting information into wisdom, imparting that to the community, questioning things that have not previously been questioned. All of those are themes in your chart. In fact, as usually happens to me, I start chuckling partway through the chart because it's like, oh, yeah, I can really see you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. You you have the chart of somebody that's going to do podcasting, like no question. This is a perfect format for you, which is why you're so comfortable with it. It's it's exactly, you know, th- these themes come up. Now, when you have, you're working on a relationship, and I will do sort of a combination of charts to see how people are working out. There's not sort of, oh, you need this type of person. No, because there's, there's too much individuality in there to be able to do that. But I can see where potential for conflict comes up. And then we can handle that. So I was looking to see if you had gate 21 and you don't. So that's fine. Um, But gate 21 is a gate of control. Now, if if you have that and you're in a relationship with someone that has that, there is every good chance that you two butt heads over Mm -hmm. who's in charge of X, Y, Z. You know, pick a thing. So when I come across that, and I did work with a couple who were even talking divorce, and they had a three-year-old, and they were just grr. And he was a manifester; she's a projector. So they're very different energy. But they both had this thing with control. Ha. Huh, okay. Let's start there because that's a very clear headbutt location. And so we figured out what he was really good at and what she was really good at, and each of them needed to give the other full permission to be in control of their parts and to not step in and, you know, override decisions. Each had to give the other one grace to be in control of their pieces, 
right? And so they're kind of sailing over each other, not crashing into each other. And we we worked on some other things as well, but in three months that relationship was turned around and they're they're doing great now. They're happy, they've got business together, they're, you know, moving on and up and it's all smiles. So that's lovely because it was a very easy fix once you work with the human design. Yeah, and suddenly acknowledging and then, you know, once you've seen that, it does give you a blueprint, as you say, to to maybe decide okay i do need the control but i I'm, i can let go of that bit of control but not right not totally and, and and that it's acknowledged it's perfectly fine to you for you to require control doesn't yeah. mean you're a control freak it doesn't mean you've got you know issues with your parents or, or whatever it just means this is energetically required for you and people need to acknowledge that and let you have it and likewise you do for them mm. so it's it's a case of understanding. And while I worked with that couple, there were so many times when I would get, oh, so that's why he does that. Or, oh, that's what that is. And I mentioned he's a manifester. So one of the first things, as is usual with manifestors, that I needed to say was remember to tell people when you're doing something different or you're leaving or you're going somewhere, tell them what you're doing. And I could see the look coming on his face. And I said, okay, hold up. I am not saying ask for permission because that is something guaranteed to annoy a manifester. So if if you want to just check out, you know, is this person manifester, tell them they need to ask permission for things and see what their response is. (laughs) <laughs> then go to your chart. You might find that you found a manifesto when they get feisty about it. Um, so, you know, I explained to him, no, I'm not asking you to ask permission. You don't need to do that. You just tell people, you just inform them of what you're doing. That's all you got to do. Right. And so it took him some work to do that. Like it didn't feel comfortable. But when he started doing that, the response he got back was worthwhile. And, you know, and they did much better together. So it actually, yeah, and it's a bit, again, it's, it comes from that awareness in yourself allows you to change your own behavior as opposed to constantly trying to react to other people's reaction to right. behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a massive change, right? Like I didn't ask him to become a an engineer when he's really a chef. Yeah. You know, I, I just, all you got to do is let them know. It's, it's not a big task. But sometimes it's one that people can go their entire lives without doing. Yeah. And just not see it, not see that that is the source of conflict the whole time. Yeah. And the the other thing that was really intriguing for me was, and this is where I think, you know, the Enneagram, it it sort of resonates, was the the whole numbering. So your profile of you're you're sort of given a number. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's okay. So your profile is basically it's to do with the, the, more astrology, you know, the, um, the gate that you have with the sun activating it and so on. But I have found that the profiles are a utterly fascinating area. So you have, when you look at your chart, there are two lines of two columns of numbers. The first one says personality. Yep. Does on the chart that I'm looking at for you. Mm -hmm. And that means this is you now, this is how you show up and you know this about you. When you look at the other column that's design, this is generational. This is ancestral stuff that you've brought down the lineage with you. And sometimes there will be the same thing on either side. And then, you know, you have something pretty strong that you need to work with. That 
again, is a, a whole event in itself to work through. But that very top number with the sun gate in personality and in design gives you your conscious and your unconscious traits, if you will. Mm. So for the number four, for example, um, you have that consciously, I have that unconsciously. So we both have that same aspect. And this is one where you need to network. Isn't that funny? (laughs) You know, that that is the, the original name for it is the opportunist, but that's not a great name. It means that you're a networker and you do best working through your networks, you know, think mycelium, right? Mm -hmm. You you can have more than one network, but going out of network isn't really going to land so comfortably for you. You need to be introduced to people or know them through this person. There's always a connection back. And when you have that, things flow really well and people will recognize you as an expert in your field because you are, you're in your comfort zone there and you can roll with it. And this is something you'll know about you oh, way yeah. earlier than I knew about me, you know, but we both have that. And then the six is, that's a fascinating one because it's very experimental. It's the only one that goes into three phases. And it's also, you always have one foot in the future and one foot in the now. So when somebody says to you, okay, let's do some meditation and you'd be fully present, you might find that not I, either it's not going to last that long or you find it a little difficult to do because you're always one step in the future. And this is normal for you. But with that number, you're going to be sort of throwing things at the wall to see what sticks and what happens and, you know, poke what happens when I do this. And, and the phases first 30 years of life are really experimental where, you know, you, you like a ping pong ball bumping into things and who knows what happens. You don't until it does, yeah. you know, and they learn something from each one of these collisions, each one of these experiments. It's not trial and error. It's trial and learn. And right. you create wisdom from this. Then 30 to, these are roughly, you know, 28 to 30 from that it's Chiron returns. And again, this is a whole thing getting into astrology in this piece, but Let's just go with the numbers. The first 30 years, very experimental. The next sort of 20 years or so are where you're putting all that together and making wisdom out of it and sharing it with people and reflecting and looking at the world around you and figuring out, do I like this? Like, what am I going to do with this? You're kind of like sitting on a roof watching everybody and seeing what they're doing. And this is also a time where if you haven't already found your soulmate, you probably will. Mm. And then after 50, you're getting in, you're like the wise man on top of the, the hill kind of thing. The experimental part is is less, but not fully absent. Mm. And that's something that you don't necessarily recognize about you first. Other people will see it first. But there's, then, a need about, you know, there's always been a need for novelty or something new on the horizon. Right. Yeah. Right. And and that's fully in keeping with the six. The other thing with the six is it's the role model. And what this means is whatever you did not have as a child for a role model, wherever your parents didn't quite meet your needs and, you know, we're human. So there's always gaps. Yeah. What part of that six is that you strive to be that person. So you are superwoman. 
you know, you do become that role model. And that's, again, part of your journey. And then you help other people with that. So there's there's so much there. But when you look at a 4-6, this is fully somebody who is going to really go there, try different things and share the wisdom with the community so that the community can benefit. And that's, you know, that's a, a nutshell of Cat Preston, is it not? Collective wisdom, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is why I found it so fascinating. And then the other thing that's really, you know, and this is why I'd encourage people who are interested in this sort of personal development world and, and building more self-awareness is the gifts, which again, seem to be so like I've, you know, strength finder comes out. Empathy for me is top adaptation is, is high up there communication. So I've sort of been leaning into those strengths, but the gifts here are really, um, they seem to be very on the nose, if you like. Yes. And the thing is there are 64 gates and you have some activated, some not Mm. when you have, a gate either side of a line activated that gives you a channel, which gives you another level of energy connecting between these two. And each of these 64 gates, the ones that are activated have, you know, the the, uh, profile numbers we just did, the four, six, these are from a hexagram from the I Ching Chinese book of wisdom. And each of these gates are also affected by a hexagram. So, there's a lot of depth you can get into there. Like, do you have the gate of secrets that's inspired by or influenced by the hexagram six, which is going to be experimental, for example? Secrets is not so much that you keep them, it's that other people will tell them to you. And you don't have to try. You just sit there and they will come. Now, I have this gate. And sometimes I can be in a place and I will have people come up and tell me the most surprising things. I was at a convention with my husband, he's a science fiction author, and we were there selling his books. And within two hours, I had somebody come up and tell me about their child being murdered and two other people come and talk about suicide. And I'm just standing there with books. Like I'm not doing anything. There is nothing about me that says, hey, this is a topic I'm interested in. But, But I can totally handle it and you know and they're bringing me their pain mm, mm. i'm just kind of okay I'll, I'll be present with you but you know this yeah. just happens to me i can sit somewhere and i'll get the person that wants to talk to come up and tell me all kinds of things and you know it's up to me to be confidential with that and not sort of do anything with it other than be with them with it yeah and just hold um, yeah, but that yeah. that also, you see, that shows up in my work when I'm working with parents and kids or when I'm doing human design or when I'm doing a combination. This piece comes in because I, I will find the secrets or the, the, the hidden things in the charts and I'll find it, the people will tell them to me and I can put it all together, give it back to them in a way that makes sense and they can now go use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the most beautiful gifts of this this kind of um, system, if you like. This it, it it helps build a profile of gifts, as you were saying, that maybe you've even held yourself from exploring because 
that was the thing that you kept hidden. That was the thing that you you were actually always told to sort of, oh, you're too much and you shouldn't do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I often find that somebody who has the um, storytelling features in their gates, and, and there can be a thread of storytelling, that person is usually someone who was told that they were talking too much in school, that they were distracted, uh, needed to focus more. Parents complain they talk too much. You know, that person, there's every good chance that they're a storyteller. And the way they can reach people is to do it by story. So yeah. you don't just give the dry facts, you play with stories. And if you have that gift, it is a terrible thing to squash it because it's such a gift. We need stories. This is how we learn. I mean, for those who follow the Bible, for example, and I'm not getting into religion, it's not my thing, but if you follow the Bible, that began as oral tradition. It was stories. Totally so, yeah. And the stories are written down, and that's why not all of them make sense, right, <laughs> because they're stories. And the, the thing that people tend to lose is the story is not something to be taken word for word. It's what is the message you are conveying with your story that that person can receive? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a quick jump to the Buddha, just, you know, so I cover a few people here. The, the Buddha was said to have been asked at a particular village. He was giving a teaching and they came up to him and said, well, wait a minute. Well, you went to this other village and you told them a different thing. And now you're telling us this. That can't be right. They can't both be right. And the Buddha's response was, well, that village needed to hear this thing. This village needs to hear what I'm giving here. They are both correct for the people that are receiving. And that's the nature of storytelling. That's yeah, what and, and storytellers me, are here for. It's, you know, you'll remember a story. You might even remember where you were when you heard the story so much mm -hmm. more than you'll remember concrete data or facts, you know, independently. If they're encapsulated in a story, it right. tends to really resonate and really land. So doesn't that put questions on the school system? Oh, right? so much so. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I'm going to tell you this thing, you're going to regurgitate it at me and we'll call it good. Mm. Well, okay, but did that get you anywhere? And do you remember those things? You know, I have four degrees. I'm really good at regurgitating information. I, I can totally do that. And because I'm also a generator, give me uh, a multiple choice and I can I can pass that test when I haven't even studied the subject. And so can you, because we work with options, with binary options, yes, no, black, white. Do you want this or that? Is it here or here? And you can have a multiple choice and you can look at those four or five options and you'll know which one makes sense because it's not like the others. Yeah. You can pick it out because you're a generator. So that's why so many people do well with multiple choice. It's not because they don't have the brain power per se for an essay. It's that this is just low hanging fruit. It's easy. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that doesn't teach you anything. No, no. And I think so much now, you know, has evolved in terms of how we have access to information, whether it's we're carrying it in a, uh, on a phone in our pocket. It's now about what are we going to do with that information and, you know, how are we going to use that information? And that really right. is the sort of creativity that, that I think if we can engender that in within schools and start from that instance, you know, you've got, I, I've, 
I've worked with kids, you know, I used to run an art school and their imaginations are so rich that you, you know, we're, we're missing a trick by not really tapping into that resource constantly. Oh, 100%. There's, yeah. there's so much there that we leave untapped and then squash as soon as possible. Mm, it's mm. any school system, pick one, because they're all about control. And they're all about, you know, sit down, shut up, listen, learn this thing, tell it back to me, yeah. and you're good. You know, and you there's a wrong answer or a right answer. And yet, really, yeah. it's that idea of being able to hold two conflicting ideas can can be equally true, can be true at once. There's definitely different approaches can work in different circumstances. And mm -hmm. if you ask a five-year-old what's the best solution, they it's before they've learned to look to the right answer they will they will get their sort of creative minds whirring on the on the whole they will because we haven't taught them not to yeah and it's fascinating how they can resolve things very very oh, I, I love to talk to little kids and i love to hear how they see things yeah. because they're, they're untarnished yet hopefully yeah. yeah um and that can be so much fun yeah. You know, I, I worked in uh, preschool for a while and I noticed one time, more than one time, but I noticed that the kids seemed to have very stiff little bodies. Like they weren't very comfortable in their skin as a class. And I thought it's kind of odd, but we changed circle time to dance time for a while. And we were putting on Michael Jackson and all, you know, Nelly Furtado and all kinds of Latin music and stuff. And these kids were getting their groove on and some of them, it was hilarious to watch because they really didn't know what to do with their bodies, but they learned. And then I found after circle time, you would have kids at the, you know, the easel or something and they're dancing, the music's not on, but they're, they're dancing while they're, you know, painting and they're humming and they're kind of, you know, the energy would just whoosh, lift up because of that one 15 minute let's all dance. And we would have teachers coming in from other classrooms on their coffee breaks, propping up the wall with a cup of coffee to watch the kids dancing. <laughs> like we became the go-to place for break time. It's hilarious, but yeah. everybody had a good time and, and it really, it got their imaginations going. It kind of loosened them up and we got so much more out of these kids when they had some dance time, you know, sitting down in a chair is not what we're here for. And it's, it's a place where we start to squash the natural talents that kids have. You yeah. know, if you're working with a projector, for example, projectors have a very different way of going on with their energy, right? Like they don't produce their own energy for a startup, so they have to borrow. But a projector is someone who can see systems. They can see the big picture, like a bird's eye view, and they can see how to fix things, how to make them better, how to run more smoothly. The irony for, for a, a projector is they need to be invited to share that wisdom. If they offer it, they're seen as pushy and they'll be rejected. But if somebody says, oh, I see that you're really good at this, would you help? They can then choose yes or no, I want to help, I don't want to help. If they choose yes, it will go much better because they've mm. been invited. Mm. Again, this is a whole thing that a projector is going to learn if they go into their chart, how to work with that. Because you can set things up to show people what you can do and then have the invite come to you but you need to be invited if you volunteer if you share you are going to get a poor response you know that you'll either be used you'll feel used and you won't get recognition for it or they'll just shove you away and say you're being pushy but that projector 
they have brilliance for an hour or two, and then they need a pretty long nap or go for a walk, a hike. You know, they need a chunk of time off, and then maybe they'll come back later in the day with more brilliance. But just like when you're working out in a gym, Mm. if you work out in a gym seven days a week, your body starts to break down. You don't get gains. You don't get the toning and the muscle building that you might be looking for. You have to have a rest day for everything to integrate and to repair and to recover. And for a projector, they have to have that chunk of time, which is probably a big chunk in the middle of the day somewhere. They need that time in order to integrate everything that's coming in information-wise so that they can then give it back to you. And it's brilliant when it comes back, but you can't force a projector to work all day. They don't go that way. So if you've got a child who's a projector in school, chances are they have a few sessions a day where they are not good at what they're doing. And you could switch the subjects and they probably still wouldn't be good at what they're doing because it's not their time. They need a break and schools aren't set up for this. Not at all. The schools don't know they need to be, but you know, it's, it's, that's what 32% of the population. So there's, there's a chunk. No, Mm -hmm. not that much. 1%. You know, they, they need to have that space so yeah. that they can integrate and we don't give it to them. Yeah. And we're not even and, aware that that is a, that's an energy type. And, and right. the only one we, I, I feel like we should cover all of them now that we're, we're sure. through, but the only one we haven't mentioned is the most rare. Yes. Reflectors. Yeah. 1% of the world's population. God love you all. Um, <laughs> so reflectors, I've, I've had the pleasure of working with four of them so far, which is pretty good. Some people never get to work with a reflector. Yeah. They have no definition. None of their centers are defined. Now, when you have a defined center, you look at the chart, it's colored in. That means that the energy belonging to that center is fixed, constant. You can rely on it. It's there for you. This is the path of who you are. Now, if you don't have any definition at all, it means who you are is highly variable and extremely flexible depending on the environment. Now, the reason for the name reflector is open or undefined energy centers, the white ones, will absorb the energy from others, as I mentioned earlier, and it amplifies that. So it's like a magnifying mirror. So if you you have emotional definition, if somebody in your environment does not have, they will actually appear to be more emotional than you are. Even though they, they're not emotional, they're borrowing it. They don't choose it, but they're borrowing it and they show it more. So a reflector is literally reflecting the environment back to it. So if I was a reflector and I'm hanging out with you, then I'm going to show you, you amplified, right? Mm-hmm. All these traits that you have are going to come up. Now, one of the Things that a reflector has to navigate is love relationships tend to be with narcissists because that person is falling in love with themselves, right? They have themselves reflected back at them. So a reflector has to be extremely careful about their environment and who's in it. And they can be very aware of all the people around them because they feel them quite literally. This is the living definition of an empath, whether they want to be or not. Mm. They also change emphasis, if you will, every few days within their own personality because they're following the transits of the planets. Like this is something you can see on your chart. 
and so the emphasis will shift. There'll be a little more manifesto one day and a little more projector another day. And then all of that depends on who's in their environment. So a reflector is necessary for us all to reflect the environment back to us. How are we doing? So if you have an, a reflector at work, for example, awesome. You can totally see how your company's doing or how your environment is doing by how this person's doing. They are the the canary in the coal mine, God love them. And, and it's a lot. It's a lot of work. And so there's a lot of techniques that we can set up to shed other people's energy at the end of the day so you can actually sleep. Right. Interesting. And, and how to make decisions. It can take a reflector. They, they are the only lunar type. They follow the lunar circles. Everybody else is solar going the other way. Mm. And so it will take a reflector 28 days at least once. They might have to go through a couple of cycles to make a big decision like moving or a job or a relationship. They have to be very, very careful. Mm. So a reflector has a special load. And it, it can be amazing and it can be god awful. Just depends on, you know, depends on your environment hugely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for anyone listening to this who is interested in pursuing it a bit further, how does it work? Um people can go to your website and you you put in your 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 date of birth, your time of birth, the place of birth to generate the original chart. Yes. Um my website has it for free. Right. So you go, you go to the website, look up, create my chart, and it's it's all there, easy to find. You put in your personal information. Nobody sees that except you. Right. Let me just put that out there. That is not attached to your chart. When you generate it, you're perfectly safe. And you can do as many charts as you want to do. So if you have that information, yes, the time is important um, because the further away from the correct time you are, the less accurate it's going to be. So if you're half an hour out, not a big deal. Mm -hmm. If you're 23 hours out, you you could have some things in there that don't resonate. And that, funnily enough, is the only time where I've had somebody say, oh, I'm not too sure about this. And so we we look into it and their birthday, their birth time was wrong right. by a lot. And then it's like, okay, well, let's do it again. Let's yeah. have another look. So yeah. you put that information in, you can download your chart, and when you do, there will be hyperlinks at the side. They're in orange, the ones that I have active. And you click on that and it will give you a very brief sort of look at what did I just do? <laughs> you know, what is what is this thing? What is that? Mean? Because there's a lot. Yeah. And that's why you don't just read your own chart and, and off you go. You don't get a printout and you mm. know, you have all the information you need. It takes delving. Because you take delving, you know, yeah, you're, yeah, not yeah. A, you're not a, a two-dimensional being. So, you know, it takes work. If if that's enough information for you, then you're good. Mm. If you want more information, if you want to know how you work, you can book. I, right now I have it set up for just one reading at a time. The ideal really is to have two. And I say it's an hour, but honestly, it's usually 90 minutes. So if you book one, allow 90 minutes because there's so much information. Um, and you need to send me your chart if that's what you want to do, because I don't get it automatically. Okay. I've set it up for as much privacy as possible. Right. So you're not telling me anything just by generating your chart. Mm. 
So you come in, go away, and you're all good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and ideally, you'd have some idea of the people around you, certainly family members, and certainly, you know, a vague idea of types of energy and things so that you can maybe see how you're interacting with other people. I have done up to five charts for a family so that we can see why this particular pairing gets on better than that particular pairing Mm. and, you know, why certain aspects of family life are jarring or difficult or, you know, and and I can, it takes some work to, to navigate all of these. This is a big puzzle to put together, but I'm a bit of a sleuth and I love doing the, let me follow these threads and find out what's happening. And, and I literally come at it as a sleuth and then I give you what I got. I'm not attached to what you do with it. Like mm-hmm. I'm just giving you the information, go play with it and see what, what you find. But it can really help families to figure out, you know, that one child that's always doing the thing that's annoying. Let's, let's figure out why, yeah. what is yeah. it? Yeah. What are they telling you? Because going back to behavior analysis for a moment, all behavior is communication. There's no bad behavior. There's a communication of a problem. Yeah. And it might not be very nicely communicated to you, but you're sure getting the message. The question is, can you interpret it? And do you know what to do with it? And so I like to bring in the behavior analysis into, you know, certainly if I'm working with a group of people, I'm going to be bringing that in as well. And it all plays nicely. I, I love that you can have the science going into what some people consider woo. Um, I don't because the science part for me is that you go test it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And oh, I think that's living science. To your point about communication, you're learning about your own communication styles, maybe what resonates with you, how you like to be communicated with, and then yeah. how you can maybe tweak in different circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. And you and you learn some things about you that once you know them, you can look at it and say, oh, of course. For example, um, I had somebody say to me a little while ago, she's a, a, another coach, and she'd put together some programs. And she said, can you help me to price these? And I was like, well, I'll give it a go. You know, I'm a generator. Of course, I'm going to say yes. So I said, okay, I'll give it a go. Throw it at me. And she did. And I looked and I said, okay. And she said, well, how would you price them? I was like, whoa, no, 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 no. You have to give me options. <laughs> I, I'm not pulling that out of the ether. No way. I have no frame of reference for this. What are you thinking? Give me some choices. And as soon as she gave me options, that binary yes or no, I was very quickly able to pull out what I figured would work. Yeah, but yeah. I couldn't give her an answer without that. It was open-ended, works wonderfully for a manifester. It does not work for a generator because there's too many possibilities and you can't possibly pick one. It's, you know, the generator is the person who's likely to respond, I don't know, when they're asked, what do you want for dinner? (laughs) I don't know, what do you want? (laughs) If you say, if you ask that same question to a generator and you say, do you want Italian, Indian or sushi? Mm. Oh, I'd love sushi. That'd be great. Thanks. Okay. Easy answer. But if you give an open-ended, what do you want for dinner? Oh, man, I don't know. What are my choices? <laughs> and how many times as a generator do you say, I don't know, what are my choices? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? It's not that you're looking for the other person to be in charge. It's just that they haven't given it you in a format you can work with. Yeah. So when you learn what your format is, 
it's so much fun to play with. And now I won't answer open-ended questions like that. I'll, I'll you know, I already knew my type and, and all the things by the time I had that question. So I knew to say to her, uh, 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 no, 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 give me some options. I can't work with this. I'm not going to even try. You know, when I'm not going to think about myself. that in relation to children, especially how just making those certain tweaks and just how you approach, it can be the same issue, but how you approach it can can get very different results. Oh, if you ask a small child, what clothes do you want to wear today? You can sit down and get comfortable with the chaos that you're going to have for the next half hour. But yeah. if you say to this same child, do you want the red T-shirt or the blue T-shirt? Yeah. They will grab a T-shirt. You can even start with babies. If a baby can reach, you can give them a choice of two things and they will they will grab one. That is the first decision. Yeah. And, and they learn to make decisions this way. But giving them options, you, you have a seven in ten chance that your child's going to be a generator. Yeah. So seven in ten chance says they are going to love options. Yeah. And any child, as they learn to make decisions, will appreciate options because it gives them parameters. And you're giving them stuff, hopefully, that that, that whatever they want is the right answer, right? Yeah. You're not going to offer them something that when they go for it, you say, yeah, well, that was the wrong decision. But we do that as teenagers, right? We do that to teens. We We want them to make decisions. And then they make a decision and it's like, yeah, but not that decision. Yeah, you've now made the totally wrong decision. I knew you were going to. <laughs> that wasn't what I was thinking. You did not read my mind. And, and you know, that's where a lot of teenage problems come from is where the parents haven't taught the child to make decisions. So by the time they're a teenager, suddenly you expect them to be able to make amazing decisions, which coincidentally are your decisions and and then wonder why they get into trouble and they do things that don't resonate, you know? It's because they haven't learned yet. So teach them young so they don't have to learn later. That would be my one piece of advice there. And if you know what their energy type is, you can work with that and get so much further, so much faster. That's yeah. the thing that I love with it. And it can be such a, a smooth sort of event in your household to move forward on something because you know who you're working with. Yeah. My two sons are both projectors. So, but they're different projectors. They don't have the same decision-making systems. So my eldest can make a decision in a day. He can make a decision in an hour following his process. My youngest, it doesn't matter how he goes, he's going to take a week because one has a single definition, which means everything hooks up together. The other one has a triple split, which means he has three circuits to listen to. Mm -hmm. So he has to work through all three before he gets a decision. So they're the same type, but different decision-making. You're a split decision-making, so you have two voices to listen to. And I gave those to you. So, you know, you have the emotion, you go through that wave, and then you get to the gut feeling. Yeah. I have a triple split, so I'm, I'm like my youngest. I have to wait a week before I – and you can't hurry that. So here's the thing. If you're on a sales call with someone and, and they're like, mm, uh, mm, I don't know, eh, and, and they're humming and hiring and, and that person pushes them, well, you got to do it now, otherwise it's gone. you got to do it now or the price is going to be three times as much tomorrow. And they make a decision that is probably going to lead to colossal 
buyer's remorse, yeah. not only because, you know, they, they just laid out some money, but because they, they did not have time to go through their process. And so, you know, if, if I'm talking to someone and they're looking at readings or whatever, I'll never push a person because I don't want them to be out of their decision-making process. And nobody has a decision-making process that gets them to the end of a call with a yes. We're not built that way. So that is a, an energy that's pushed onto you that if you respond to it, and that's probably from conditioning from childhood, people-pleasing stuff, you know, if you respond to that and you go for it, chances are you'll have a big regret. And that's yeah. why. And, you know, in, in, in the context of coaching sales, the, the best outcomes for coaching clients are always people who have had time to reflect, go away, think about it, talk to the people mm -hmm. who are going to be, you know, also stakeholders in this and then come back. And if you're still a yes, you know, you kind of test the yes in order to save yourself an awful lot of grief working with somebody who actually is always going to be in that sort of position of remorse and what am I yeah. doing here? Yeah. And they're not going to get anything from you. No. You know, if, if you push somebody into a thing and they haven't followed the decision-making process, which again, by definition, they have not, nobody is that fast, then you then get to deal with them for the next six months or so. They can't show up with yeah. the sort of receptivity to get what you're giving them. You're wasting your time. You're wasting their time. Your reputation goes down the toilet and you've had a bad day. You yeah. know, like, why would you do that? Yeah. So it's, yeah. Um, I, I would like more people to follow that ideally, you know, just don't do the push. If if what you've got is right for that person, then they'll come. Yeah, precisely. And they'll get the benefit. That's the thing. You know, if I said to you, I'm going to give you a free coaching session. Okay. You're going to show up if you remember to show up, right. Mm -hmm. You're going to show up with a certain energy that gets you maybe $50 worth of input you're maybe going to get $50 worth out of it. If I said to you, okay, this is going to cost you $10,000 for 50 minutes of my time and, and you buy in, you give me that $10,000, how much are you going to get out of that session? Mm, mm. I love a lot more than if I charge you 50, right? Because you, you're looking for that value and the value is there. The question is, what can you take from it? What, what will you be receptive to? So that's another reason to not push people into things because not only are they not designed for it, but they won't show up for it. They they won't get the value. And then what are you even doing? Yeah, precisely. Well, Mickey, I could listen to you for hours talking about this. It's, I think it's a Good, I could talk for hours. <laughs> a fascinating modality. I'd recommend anyone who's been listening to this and is, is intrigued to head on over to, is it still Mickey Gaffinstone? M-I-K-K-I. The the website is just www.gaffinstone.com. That didn't change. And then my email is still Mickey, M-I-K-K-I, at gaffinstone.com, even though I've stopped using my nickname and I'm now Mikaela, which was always my name. I had dumbed it down because people were having trouble with it. And then I figured, no, actually, they can work on it. Yeah, so. no, no, and it's a beautiful name, and I think it, it gives you that gravitas. And meanwhile, I'd like to say congratulations because you have given talks at MIT, and you now have your own TV show since since we last spoke on the podcast in season nine. And, and I remember, I have... sorry, I was going to say, I do remember you talked about the kindness of Fred Rogers in that episode. 
and how he he was such a role model for you as a child, Fred Rogers' neighborhood. And I, I think I remember saying at that point, gosh, you should have a TV show. You did. Yes, you are exactly the person who said that to me. And I think at the time I, I was sort of, oh, haha, I don't think so. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm there every week and I love it. I have so much fun with it. And I've played with different aspects, you know, different things to talk about. And I find, funnily enough, parenting and human design are my comfort zones. Yeah. That next week's episode is going to be about human design. Um, and last week's was all about parenting myths. So there you go. Um, but I've also done a talk at UCLA. And that one, I really went with my design. Like this was taking a deep breath and throwing all the things that people tell you out the window and going with it. Wow. And I did not have my talk planned. I knew my topic. I had no bullet points. I had no plan. And everybody else was freaking out. I wasn't. And I stood up there. I went with the energy that the MC had put out there. And do you know Dave Hester from Storage Wars? No. It's, anyway, he, he plays the part of somebody who's a real jerk, right? Like he's not pleasant at all in that. And he's actually a delight to meet. And he was there. And he was sitting towards the back of the room very centrally. So he was a perfect place for me to focus. And I got so much great feedback from him visually that I kept going with it. And my talk went beautifully. Like wow. it was the best one I've done. And I had no plan, no idea what I was going to say until I said it. And that was in my design. So that's a case of, you know, it's a trust fall, right? It's a big leap. But following my design went way better than following the instructions of other people where you have it all written down, you practice it into your phone, da, da, da. I tried that and it was awful. Mm. So, yeah. And I, tried I don't believe that, that if you're speaking about something that you've leaned into, you know by heart, you're speaking from the heart, it will just come out and land with the people who need to hear it. Yeah. And th this one was parenting. And, you know, yeah. when I told the stories and I had people, they laughed in the right places, they gasped. Somebody wanted to go find that teacher and do bad things to them. You know, and I, <laughs> I had all these different stories to throw and, uh, and it went really nicely. So, you know, finding how, finding out how you work best, the easiest thing, because one last thing I'd like to say, I know I've been talking a while, oh, is wow. That thing that you find that's really easy to do, that thing that you just dismiss because it's so simple, obviously everybody can do it. Newsflash, they can't. And this is you, this is the definition of you in flow, in alignment, in your design. That thing that's really easy for you is a fabulous clue to how to do things. You, you can flow down the river. You don't have to do battle to get up it. You just go with it. Yeah. So that's that's a big thing that you will find in your human design. Yeah, and I love that metaphor of just if life is a river, this is this is providing you with a log to float down the river in, and it's not um, it doesn't have to be totally hard work. And this oh. leaning into your gifts is where you're going to find that sense of ease and flow. I think. Yeah, and and to be fair, going with the river analogy again, every now and then you'll round the corner and there's rapids, mm. right? And that's where you build your muscle so that you then get your next smooth piece. And that's like a coffee break. And then you get more rapids and you build more muscle. But this is how life is. Life isn't a smooth river all the way. But if you cannot battle in places where you don't need to, why would you? 
right? (laughs) Go with the flow, man. Like find, find where you work best and do that. Do more of that. And the more yes you have, the less no. Well, it certainly appears from my side of things that you are leaning into your gifts and sharing all of that great wealth of wisdom and knowledge that you have and making it accessible for so many more people to hear it. That's what brings me joy is that, you know, all these messages around behavior being communication or a breakdown in communication is actually quite simple in its basics Mm -hmm. and can really help make the world a better place with it, whether that's in a family dynamic or within a work environment or in the wider world. And I'm so thrilled to hear that, yeah, you've got this platform to share your message. I'm, I'm having fun with it. And here's the thing, when you understand that behavior is communication, guess what goes away? Blame. <laughs> Blame yes, and judgment. Blame and judgment goes away. Because you, you're not blaming the child, hopefully, at this point. You're looking to see what is the problem, what's being communicated to me here. Mm. And, you know, that that's behavior analysis has a system for that, which I'm happy to teach to people, of how to look at what happened before, what the behavior is, what's keeping it going, and, and why are they doing it? Like, what is the purpose? Are they trying to get to something, away from something, both? What is it telling you? And there's so many paths to sleuth on that they're learnable. Like you can do them for yourself. Yeah. And I like to give the tools to people. I, I don't need to be the potentate that everybody comes to for, you know, the information. It's like, no, here you go. It's your toolkit. Go play with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, you're doing brilliant work. So do you have, I mean, your last episode, you you uh, talked about Queen. Do you have a song for me as a last sort of parting gift? <laughs> One of my favorites is by The Who, which is H-U, not The oh, Who. Not Mick Jagger, <laughs> H-U. The Who are from Mongolia. And there's the woman's song, and it's featuring Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm. She does most of the vocals. They, they're playing their Mongolian music and doing the, the backing and so on. And it is a beautiful blend of East and West. I love anything by The Who. And also the Who with Hailstorm, and they've worked with other people like uh, Limp Biscuit and so on. They they do amazing stuff with the traditional Mongolian instruments as well. Fabulous! Right, well, that's one to go and look up. I'd be interested to see if they're on Spotify. I will go and check it out. But um, well, I know they're on Amazon Music. You can find them there. There you go. There you go. So I would just like to say thank you for for being such a good friend to this podcast and also for bringing such a wealth of knowledge. I mean, not just the parenting, it kind of, it does all blend in together. I think it's it's creating self-awareness, which then does have an impact, a positive impact on your relationships with all the people around you. And I think that's work that is so important and you do it so well. So thank you for joining me, Michaela. And is there a last piece of wisdom that you'd like to lay out on the table? My favorite thing, I would say, which is if you find yourself blaming somebody for something, don't take ownership of whatever it was, because blame is the single most destructive thing you can do. It disempowers you. It puts the other person in a place of shame. Let's just not do that. So if you find yourself blaming, don't do it. It's it's not necessary. Take ownership, take action. You're good. Beautiful. 
Beautiful. That is such a powerful message. And, and I do hope that it's something we can all internalize next time we're going to push everything away and put it on somebody else's plate. Maybe just take a bit of responsibility yourself. Thank you so much for being here, Michaela. And I look forward, I'm definitely going to be checking out, we, you know, coming and digging deeper into this um, human design. And I can't wait to uh, see what you do next. Wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what I do next too, because it's definitely in <laughs> my design not to know. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Bye now. So if you enjoyed that conversation and are intrigued to find out a bit more about your own personal human design, you can head over to Michaela's website at Gaffenstone, that's G-A-F-F-E-N-S-T-O-N-E.com, where you can download your chart and start to explore some of the things that it will tell you. And Michaela also has her very own TV show and podcast where she delves deeper into the world of human design, personal transformation, and in particular, how that awareness can impact our relationships. I highly recommend checking out her content. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Collective Wisdom, it would mean the world to me if you would consider subscribing or leaving a review, or perhaps just sharing this episode with family or friends. So thank you so much for joining us on this enlightening episode of Collective Wisdom. And remember that your unique gifts and talents have the power to transform your life and impact the world around you. Until next time, take care and stay inspired. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from. So I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.